This is IT Visionaries, your number one source for actionable insights and exclusive interviews with CIOs, CTOs, and CISOs, and many more. I'm your host, Albert Chow, a former CIO, former sales VP, and now podcast host. Welcome, everyone, to another episode of IT Visionaries. And today, I have two guests joining us today. We have from AWS, his name is Mark Chen, and from Salesforce, Tom Cosolino. Tom, Mark, welcome to the show. Happy to be here. Happy to be here. Hey, listen, if you're listening right now and you're not sure why I have two different guests on our show today, I want us to know this is we're doing a little something different, a little something special. But before we dive into it, let's get to meet our new guests. Mark, let's start with you. AWS is a massive company. You can't just tell me you work there. You got to tell me what specifically you do there. We know AWS has many services, many SKUs, many everything. I mean, every time I look at the menu, I, I see something new, right? Mark, for yourself, what do you do at AWS? Great. Hi. Uh, so I, uh, I'm the general manager for the CRM platform uh, for AWS sales and marketing and global services. Uh, we use Salesforce as our uh, main CRM. We actually use Salesforce for many other things. And so for me... My team is kind of unique. We're the platform team. We look after making sure that Salesforce is running to operationally security integrations to our expectations at AWS level. Uh, ideally, most customers of Salesforce don't, don't have a team like ours. They, they let Salesforce take care of it. But for us, it's such an important tool for us. It's what we call a tier one service, where if it goes down, sales kind of stops. So it has to be up. We have to know exactly what's going on. And we have so many different teams that want to interact with it. And so... I own kind of the technology, the teams to uh, to operate the platform across all of the, the fleet of orgs that we have. So we we manage more than just one uh, one org. We have several, and uh, and I have a counterpart of mine who builds a typical uh, instance owner that would build the applications on top of it as well. So that's kind of my role is to uh, look after that. Awesome, Tom. Same for yourself. Please introduce yourself and what you do at Salesforce. We know it's a huge company as well, many different roles, Tom. Take it away. Tom Coslino, market strategy. I'm a senior director there. And what I do is a couple things. I track the markets, the different competitors, the different partners of ours, and do a lot of work on the AWS Salesforce partnership as well. So really happy to be here and excited to speak with Mark. Listen, we're excited to both have you here today. And this is all part of our Success Now miniseries. In this economy, organizations need solutions to reduce costs, increase efficiency, realize an ROI quickly, deliver value fast. This mini series is about the focusing on how organizations are like your, like both of yours are putting customers and driving enterprise success, given a shifting economy. Tom, I know you study companies at a great length. I'm going to kick it over to you because you have such knowledge and expertise and Mark has practitioner expertise. This is going to be a great conversation. I'm just here to facilitate Tom. I'm going to kick it your way. Thanks, Albert. I'm, I'm raring to go. I'm dying to, to really dig deep in some of Mark's expertise and uh, where he's going uh, with his, his uh, CRM implementation. So listen, we're all on the same page. We read the paper, we walk around all day. There's a difficult times. So Mark, tell me a little bit about the role that CRM plays both in your, in your company and in your mind as you go about, again, serving your internal customers and making AWS even more successful. Yeah, I think uh, CRM is certainly at Amazon and AWS. We use Salesforce for definitely more than just CRM. Um, and so we have several, several instances there. And so I kind of manage the platform that supports them all. But CRM is very critical for helping our sellers in our field be able to efficiently, you know, just sell to their customers. And uh, kind of our viewpoint of it is that this is the key tool that they have to be able to use because it's hard to, how do you close these multi-million dollar deals 
uh, it's very complicated. It requires a lot of coordination and they need tools. And that's what we need to have our CRM do that. Um, but you also got to use it right. And, uh, you know, our definitely main focus is how do we have CRM be really a tool for, uh, for our sellers, right? It's very easy to make it more of a management tool, right? And, uh, you know, have them fill a whole bunch of forms, a whole bunch of fields to collect a whole bunch of data to manage that. However, this tool has just become a management tool instead of a productivity tool. And we want to be able to mar the, put those two things together and uh, really make it a great experience for, for our sellers. Now, Amazon is known for being completely customer obsessed. I buy stuff on the regular Amazon all the time. I know a lot about AWS and it's all about what's the customer need? How do we keep them thrilled? How do we keep them excited and engaged? So how, what's your approach? What's your philosophy as you starting as the CRM as in a thing? How do you make that compelling for your internal customers? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we're on a journey kind of right now. Um, you know, I have a counterpart of mine who kind of really looks at the applications and we both work together uh, to create a great experience for, uh, for our, for our users. And the kind of way we view it is kind of working backwards. And, uh, you know, the word we like to use is kind of make a consumer great. And I come from, a, I have 16 plus years at Amazon, uh, you know, worked, you know, probably seven years in the Amazon retail experience of the website. So we look at every single pixel, every single button, put a tremendous amount of thought into it to make it seamless, well understood. And we want to make our Salesforce and CRM the same way. So it doesn't require a bunch of training that it's in line, it's intuitive and it's fast. And these are all things that traditionally enterprise software, they don't think that. It's like, hey, look, it's your job, use it, right? But time is money, right? And, uh, and that's one of the big focus areas that we have is that just by improving productivity, having it go fast, more data will be naturally put in and uh, it'll overall help the customers be able to close our deals and um, be able to react fast to our customers' needs. Let's double click on one thing. So CRM can be notoriously difficult to use and difficult to put data into. I've got to sit there from a salesperson, type all this stuff in, et cetera. What's your approach to reducing the number of mistakes and really driving data quality? Because frankly, if the, if the data in your CRM stinks, guess what? It's a waste of time. So what's your approach to that? Yeah, it's kind of garbage in, garbage out. No, that's definitely, it's yeah. a common problem. We have it too, right? And I think it, it first goes off with simpler is better, uh, more is less uh, in, in many ways. And so what uh, you know, we're embarking on is, you know, we've, we've been using this since the beginning uh, of ABUS. So it's definitely a lot of time has passed, a lot of fields collected, people have come and gone. And you know, one of the things that we're doing is definitely putting a lot more governance around what we collect. Uh, there's teams across the org saying, hey, we need to grab this data. The easiest way is to ask sellers to give it to us. So our first question is, how are you going to use it? How does this benefit sellers? It cannot just be one way. And so that's how we use to prioritize you know, what we do put on because every field that's added pushes something else down, right? So we want to have that trade-off. And so definitely having a really high bar for you know, what time we're going to get from our sellers and where, and where are we collecting it for and what value does it get? Nine times out of 10, it's uh, somebody has a question, they don't know the answer, sellers know it, or let's put it in CRM. That, that's not helping in the overall sales cycle. And so uh, you know, our main focus really is like, how does it benefit the seller? How does it benefit the sales process? And uh, that justification is very high, right? And so we've had to, you know, definitely with some uh, new thinking on this one is really clean that up, you know, looking at old fields that haven't been touched or, or looked at for quite some time and removing them or, or hiding them. Uh, and then having a really high bar for adding kind of new fields as well. So that's definitely one key thing is looking back at how does this help the sales process? How does it help the seller be more efficient at, uh, at their role? And I think a lot of what we see in, in with customers from all over the world is 
Culture is really important. And you can't just throw some technology over the wall and say at one size fits all. So Amazon, we know uh, quite the builder culture. So how do you square up the buy versus build question? Because I'm sure you get that a lot, especially in the realm of CRM. So take me through a little bit of that thinking. Yeah, no, it's, uh, uh, you know, we're very unique, right? Because we're one, we're built a culture with Amazon. Uh, so that's one, we have just that natural mentality. And two, we have the resources to build uh, in one piece. We have you know, AWS that we can definitely use. And so it's very easy to, to go down that road. And um, uh, the bias is, has always been to uh, build first party, be careful of taking dependencies. We have no have control. But I think with Salesforce, it's definitely a very different mindset on this one. One, they're, they're you know, great partners for, at our, for our company. Uh, but then two, it's also one where it's an industry standard, right? And so it's one where, in, uh, unfortunately, the, the sales industry is a very high turnover business. And so uh, there is a lot of value in having consistency, right? Someone comes in, they know how to use Salesforce, they can be productive immediately versus do something proprietary, right? So that is one thing that is working kind of in our favor. Um, but I think from our perspective, it's one where we're going through this journey right now, right? Uh, it's very easy to, to build because you can. Um, and uh, the, the mindset that we've seen is finding every reason for what, uh, let's say, a third-party software can't do. There you go. There's, it can't do this. So therefore, it's time for us to uh, you know, build our own version of this. Uh, the question we really need to ask ourselves is, especially now we're trying to deliver value and move fast. I think the first thing is, one, is this problem something differentiated that we want to be able to spend our resources or precious resources to build? Um, or can this be, be purchased? So is it strategic for us, right? That's the first question. And if it's not strategic, why are we spending our time building this when we can buy it and then we can take those resources and apply it to build new AWS services? So that's kind of like the calculus that we should be always thinking about that opportunity cost. Uh, the second one is even if there is, uh, we're unique in that way, then we ask the question, well, do we need to be unique? What is the value of us being custom versus uh, you know, how does the software work? Should we map ourselves? to you know, how, what the software is capable of doing. And especially with Salesforce being an expert at kind of CRM, like we really should, when we go off the rails, we should really understand like, do we really need to? Because it's gonna be a huge cost to that uh, in order to, to customize. So that's the second question that we also kind of ask ourselves as well. And the, the other third thing is, all right, now we have this thing that, all right, it's really important, we gotta do it. The question is, well, how much is that Delta worth, right? Because for us to build that, uh, in first part, we kind of kind of build everything else leading up to it. And that's a huge cost. And I think that's the one thing that we've seen difference between using third party platforms and, and or Salesforce in particular uh, versus building it ourselves is that with Salesforce, you can just invest a team, build it. And then the maintenance is an admin, you know, doing some small configuration, you're good to go. So it's like startup costs and then it kind of tails down and you're good to go. Uh, when you build first party, you end up the teams just get bigger over time, right? <laughs> it's always the same team, but more budget, more budget, more operations, and you keep on investing. And you're, you know, you're, you're independently trying to build this functionality where you have an entire company, billion dollar company that's innovating on this product and learning from all the other customers. And so it's just logically, those are the kind of the macro things that we have to remind ourselves of, but it's very easy to just, you know, kind of ignore that. And so that's the part that we also, you know, really think about is that Delta you need to justify that investment. Is that Delta worth it? That 15% of extra value that, that we're getting above the 80-20 mm -hmm. rule? And, uh, and then so that's, those are the kinds of ways we're thinking about it. And I think what helps is, you know, we work with Salesforce very closely. What we want to get is the best of both worlds, 
right? We've always asked the Salesforce, hey, at our scale, we need to have control. We need to be able, we'd rather, we, we can do code if we need to, but make it possible, right? Make it possible so that your platform is more extensible so that we can add customization here but not have to build everything. So this way we're having the best of both worlds, you know, Salesforce plus, you know, any, um, you know, uh, customizations that we have to add to it, right? So that's kind of like our, our, our kind of overall strategy you want to head to um, so that we can be really efficient on how we use our precious uh, developer resources. Can I tell a story that supports what you both just said? Because when I was a VP of sales, one of the things that we did at our company was we had Salesforce and what we decided to do was do a custom config because we wanted to bring the specific data or feature um, from marketing team into our sales proposals, which would then we thought close more deals. And we're like, I, I, I voted against it. But Mark, you mentioned if you customize the, the downline, you, the upline, you also have to customize the downline because now all of our integrations broke. All the... Uh, plugged into our proposal builder, that didn't work. Then it didn't, our subscription billing service tool, that didn't work. Like, so you have to, when you add features, like you said, you have to handle the whole ecosystem, the upline to get to it and the downline impacts of it. It was just a lot easier to not do that. And then to back to what Tom said is like, you know, and Mark, you guys were talking about how you got to make it as easy as possible. I'm telling you, sales reps, I'm going to speak for sales reps, the organization I was at, but I'm sure it speaks for others. They do not want to fill these things out. So the more, <laughs> the more you guys build smart yeah. technology to get these communications into the tool, that's the key. Because what we found was overwhelmingly, like some of our best reps, like they were really bad at documenting things. This is back in the day when it was more field oriented. They were just bad at documenting things, and you just couldn't get that information out. It was so I, I, I get I get fired up hearing these things because I think back to what I was doing, and man, I would have. I would have preferred the way you guys are thinking than what we were doing. <laughs> I was going to say like sales is not the least resistance, like water, right? It's like they will find right. whatever it takes to, to, to get what they need to get done to hit their quota. That's it. So anything else is in the way. That's kind of how you want them to work, right? And so how do you do that? Let them do that, but you collect the information you want. So you want to use AI when you can. Use automation. Don't waste their time, right? That's really mm -hmm. the key. It's not, it's e not easy right. to do, but... You know, again, coming from our consumer background at, at Amazon, it helps to, like, yeah, if a customer, you have them click a couple of times, they're going to walk off. Like we know that the faster the pages are, the more seamless, they will shop more. Um, and so those, 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 that kind of concept, you know, applies nicely to, you know, running a, a CRM and to support sellers, right? It's a like CS agent, same thing. You want to be super efficient. They want to get the thing done uh, and get in and get out. Yeah. So one quick, one more other uh, cultural point. So, Builder uh, uh, background, a lot of teams, I'm sure they don't all want the same thing, right? So how do you can sort of philosophically deal with, you know, like the multiple, because it seems like AWS is kind of a bunch of, of little startups, right? And so mm -hmm. they all must have their own sort of ways to do things. We want this, we don't want that. So again, philosophically, we'll come back to it later at the end. How do you deal with some of that difference of the demand and, you know, what, what goes in and one does what doesn't go in in a sense? The one thing that is interesting about AWS, and we've kind of pioneered the whole microservices, and that's how we do architecture, right? Which is, we, how do we have, mm -hmm. uh, you know, smaller services uh, that own a very certain sorts of function to have them talk to each other, right? And with Salesforce, traditionally, for most customers, it's, it's a one instance, right? One org does everything. It's easier. Things to talk to each other. 
Um, but from our side, we're at such scale that uh, the one org just uh, is not, it doesn't work for us, right? We have you know, hundreds of developers changing code at the same time. Like, it's very difficult to build against these things. And so we need to find mm -hmm. ways where, uh, how do we create some abstractions? How do we you know, uh, potentially have multi-org strategy where this org does this and have them talk to each other? So it's very clear as to what the contracts are uh, between us. And that's kind of like how we generally do it. If people want custom, um, ideally, if uh, we decide whether or not we make it possible for them, but ultimately they would own that customization kind of in their system when we can. What we don't want to do is be a bottleneck. And so we try our best to uh, you know, build kind of these capabilities, these abstractions, these APIs um, to allow different teams to do what they need, but then also have right governance kind of as well. Uh, that really is, is the key. We definitely cannot um, go down a path of centralizing kind of everything, putting it all in one system. It just becomes unwieldy uh, with all these different startup kind of notions kind of happening. Right. So at the beginning, Albert talked a little bit about, you know, obviously the efficiency, um, boosting ROI, speeding time to market. So let's dive into that, that a little bit. I mean, clearly you're on a, you're on a journey. You, you said that yourself and the economy is shifting and, and moving every day. Things are, are happening, some good, some bad. So take us through the journey that you're on now, specifically around um, everything from uh, uh, approaches to those things around efficiencies, ROI, time to market. And also, how do you do more with less? you know, as, as hiring um, slows down or stops. So take us through a little bit about your journey. Yeah, it's, uh, there's a couple things there. One of them is that, um, you know, despite the industry news, uh, you know, as we know, uh, ABUS or NIABUS, but Amazon is going through, you know, RR sets and, you know, Salesforce kind of as well. Um, and the, the mm -hmm. consistent theme across the board is we, we hired very, very quickly kind of during the pandemic. And uh, it's not, it's not uh, a surprise that uh, we had to move so fast that technology couldn't keep up. So we had to use people in order to mitigate mm -hmm. that, right? So now, uh, you know, given that growth has slowed down, there's a ton of opportunity for automation. So in many ways, from a tech standpoint, it's an opportunity for us because it makes it that much more important to invest in the tech to automate these areas. So that's the one thing we're looking at now is looking at all of the manual copy paste, all the business workflows that are currently done by human beings and how do we automate that, right? With uh, platforms like Salesforce and how do we invest more in technology to do that? So that's one kind of quote unquote opportunity for the tech folks, maybe not so much so for the operations folks, but really one is that, but also making them more efficient, do more with less. That's one piece of it, just more automation. Mm -hmm. um, and also being smart using AI and ML when we can so that there's even less you know, human beings that necessarily be involved. So that's definitely one piece um, that, that we're doing. The other part that we're doing to help time to market as well is, um, you know, our team, uh, given that we manage multiple um, orgs, we built a whole bunch of technologies. Uh, you know, I own kind of the platform. So we built a lot of things that uh, to make managing a multi-org uh, at our expectations, AWS expectations uh, as possible. We built a bunch of technology uh, on AWS that uh, kind of blends the best both worlds of Salesforce and, and AWS. Because we care about operations, security, we're at a certain scale that we had to innovate here. There's very few markets and or very few products in the, uh, the marketplace that could satisfy kind of our scale. So we built these things and there's other teams at, at Amazon that also use Salesforce a ton. And, uh, you know, we see as an opportunity for the things that we built to share that, right? Kind of create a more of a center of excellence kind of concept. And what's great about mm -hmm. Salesforce and kind of how it works is that it's very well catered to sharing components, sharing innovation, uh, way easier than if you build something proprietary, right? It's much more customizable. There's a whole framework with the whole app exchange framework. 
And so that's another way that we're looking at is how do we build this and have more teams leverage the kind of the work that we're doing. Uh, so that's the second piece that uh, we're seeing on how we can improve ROI. And the last one uh, around kind of in this environment is looking at all of the technology and teams that exist right now that may be doing duplicative things. Right? We have a lot of teams that are running their own data warehouses uh, and hey, maybe it's time for us to consolidate. Uh, we have a lot of these first party systems that are doing very similar things to uh, what let's say CRM does or uh, other products. How do we consolidate? How do we uh, bring those things together and you know, pick our investments? So that's the part that we're also kind of doing as well is kind of really streamlining because now it's about efficiency, whereas before it was about growth. So I think that's the, the big adjustment that, uh, that we're going through. And you talked a lot about um, automation and, and about the opportunities that you know sometimes things happen and it, it uh, provides opportunities that you hadn't expected. So if anything, I'd imagine you have more projects than you know what to do because everybody says, hey, automate this or do that or make this easier or what have you. So how do you go about setting a priority on that? I mean, do you do a, a cost benefit analysis? Do you just throw some stuff together and, and pull an MVP out and then see where it goes? What's the approach again to turboing the right set of things? Yeah, no, that, that's a great question. And at Amazon, we, we kind of run our business uh, uh, with free cash flow, right? So it's not uh, counting books. Like free cash flow makes it very clear what you're trying to do there. So it's revenue, cost, et cetera. And so for us, uh, we're working with finance to figure out what are some things that even tech teams can use to, to, to figure out like the thing that I'm doing, what, what is a free cash flow like benefit here, right? Since we're not driving revenue, we're kind of far removed. But uh, you know, one natural thing is, is time, right? Like uh, the time it takes to do something, right? A seller's time, uh, uh, you know, a developer's time. These are all things that, uh, you know, there's salaries, the very basis, you save time and you save that salary and do other things. And so we started getting to uh, a set of, um, uh, the finance helped us with this on conversions of, all right, a time is worth this much, a time of this person with this much, and you might even throw in some opportunity costs in there. So you have a good number. So now time is something that as a technology team, you can easily measure, right? You can easily mm -hmm. find bottlenecks. Uh, and that's the part where using that kind of a, a metric, we're able to then prioritize. It really truly is a, a, an ROI you know, type thing. And so I think it's important to have that agreed upon goal and model and metric to measure because you're right. There's going to be everyone across the board saying, yeah, you know, we got to do this. We have some way to kind of break ties. And uh, I do believe that in the, in the world of efficiency, uh, you know, free cash flow is, is a good one. So that's one natural way of doing it. And the other piece that we have to always keep in mind, uh, you know, given security is number one priority, job zero for all of us, is that there's also risk mitigation kind of as well, right? When it comes to security, when it comes to compliance, and the, those are, you can't really easily put a free cash flow number on it. And so that's the other model of figuring out, like, what is that risk profile? And, uh, and kind of driving that, that down. But it becomes very, uh, to the best we can, numerical. And we're trying to avoid, if we can, the qualitative stuff. Because now there's a lot of things in our control. Cost savings is very measurable, right? Revenue growth is harder, right? It's the only things you, can, you can't control who's going to buy from you, really, right? But now when it comes to cost, you know exactly how many people are doing something, you know exactly how long it takes, and you know that your new solution is going to you know, streamline that. So it becomes easier in, in many ways to prioritize. Very cool. Thanks. That's a, that was an awesome explanation. Thank you. So I want to, you said you've been with Salesforce at AWS since quote the beginning. So I'd love to hear about your journey with Salesforce as it relates to your role. You know, how did you get started and how does Salesforce really help you support the success of the business? 
Yeah, absolutely. Well, I, you know, I've been uh, on this team for about two and a half years now. So when I uh, joined, uh, you know, this team, we've been using a Salesforce since the beginning of AWS, right? So, uh, you know, it's kudos to Salesforce for scaling uh, all the way from there to where we are now. And uh, so that's kind of what, uh, what I, was, I was part of. And, you know, I came from old school Amazon. So been in AWS, been in Amazon uh, kind of retail. And so that buy versus build conversation that we had before is one where, you know, I came in saying, yep, it's, we're using sales is great. There's a whole bunch of things that may not be uh, great for that uh, we're hitting some limits. And so, all right, let's, uh, uh, you know, build a lot of, uh, you know, 1P when we can. Let's, let's maintain kind of our, our dependency here. Um, so very classic. This is the very common theme that all sales practitioners working in large companies probably face kind of all the time, the buy versus build uh, type of debate. Uh, and for me, the, the big transformation came about a year in when uh, my team shared with me an application that, uh, that they built to uh, help monitor kind of our configuration settings across the entire fleet, right? They mentioned that, uh, you know, they, they took some code, they forked some code from another org that built something similar. And uh, they took the code within, you know, two developers in two months, they were able to launch this thing uh, to cover all of our instances. They made it better uh, and did more functionality within that small period of time, small investment. And so for me, when they showed it to me, one, you know, it was very technical, you know, type thing, but it had a UI, you had all the graphs, uh, you had all the clicks. And then they mentioned, oh, by the way, this is our view as an admin view, we can see everything, but each of these orgs, their owners can log in themselves and just see their view. And I'm like, oh, geez, that, that's when the bit flipped for me, which is we would never spend the effort to build that type of capability, that type of UI, that ease of use uh, for an internal software. We would never do it. It would probably be kind of a kludgy bunch of scripts here and there, developer adding this. It would never get to that point. But the fact that a small team, uh, you know, two folks, a couple months was able to take the code, get to this point, deploy it and do it in that short period of time. And with really no maintenance at this point, it became clear to me what the value of this is and how fast you can move with, uh, with a platform like Salesforce. And so that was, that was kind of the bit flip for me. It kind of sold there. And, and really it's around, you know, how do we double down where sales is really great at? And, uh, and leverage ABUS uh, to offset it and, uh, and make it even better. Superpower is kind of the term that I use with my team. Um, that was a big, big change for me. And uh, it's just a, a good generic platform for uh, solving business workflows. Uh, and all the work that sales is doing with MuleSoft, uh, making it easy to bring data from outside. So you don't have to put it in Salesforce. You can just you know, have it call DynamoDB or S3. Like all of those things are making it easier and easier to work with it. Um, and within the kind of Salesforce ecosystem of, uh, you know, having UI, you know, more clicks, less code. These are all things that for any organization to build that internally, um, it'll just take, it'll never get prioritized, right? And so, but the power of that, once you have it is amazing, right? So that's the part that uh, really clued in for me that yes, we really need to actually use more of this to solve a lot of our problems so that we can accelerate that because it's, a lot of times it's not the sexiest work to have, you know, hardcore SD development that could just go to another team in AWS and go launch a service, right? So we need to have kind of the right talent, the right interest. And what's fantastic about Salesforce professionals that I've learned is that they're very in tune with the business problem, right? They're interested in solving business problems. They're interested in sharing. I was surprised when we said to other teams within Amazon, hey, we have these things. Would you want to use it? They're like, oh, by all means, we'd love to. This is great. Yes, you would save us so much time. Whereas traditionally, you know, I've been Amazon long enough, we're a builder culture, we're also very, you know, little startups. 
you know, getting someone to use your stuff, not easy to do. It's always the, eh, we'll think about it or, yeah, it doesn't do our thing, so we got it, right? So it's really hard to kind of drive that because no one wants to take a dependency. But in the sales ecosystem, it's very different. It's all opposite around because everyone knows the value of delivering value. That's the whole point. That's why, you know, the platform is what it is and the ecosystem it has is to deliver value fast. And so it lends itself very well. That's kind of how we're really doubling down on that. I love the, the notion of reuse. And you mentioned security before. Tell me how, you know, obviously reusing code across groups, fantastically important. How does the security capability of Salesforce fit into that notion of reuse and the notion of saving time and, and cost? Yeah, I think it's uh, a big part of it is uh, uh, when, you, when you build a component, you go, we, we go through a security for every single thing that we do. And, uh, but once it's reviewed, then it's good to be used. Um, when you have different teams building the same thing over again, they all have to go through a security review. So there's a ton of, of uh, mm-hmm. effort reviewing the same problem over again, but everything's done differently. So the amount of savings that you get from just not having to go through that many security reviews uh, is, is huge. And, but also it's more secure because now there's one, there's one point of how this is done, right? One team has one piece of code, it's very easy to maintain. Um, and uh, that's the opportunity that we have because you know at Amazon, when you can't just run Salesforce and just use it, it needs to talk to things in order for it to really be useful. And all of those things are many times internal systems. And uh, you know, given that sales is public cloud, we have to be very, very careful on how data passes back and forth. And so, you know, security is job zero. Uh, we don't we don't fast track it, uh, and it's a, it's definitely a a thing that does slow us down, right? Naturally. And so, by you know, just being more efficient at that, um, you know, having it having some of that centralized and shareable goes a super long way in order to improve our overall security posture. Mark, can I say that what you just said is exactly how big companies think with the security reviews thing? I mean, bravo! Because I'm telling you right now, if like a company's policy was, hey. If you introduce a new part of technology, like any, if they told its workers, like, hey, if you introduce a new part of technology, you actually have to lead the security review. I'm telling you, nothing would get integrated. Nothing. <laughs> because it's so yeah, painful. Right. It's so bad. <laughs> so having something that you know and can trust, I mean, it's critical. You just cannot build without, especially the big company, like both of you guys represent big companies, like just can't do it. Like when we were at a mid-sized company, we were 700 employees. We couldn't, we just couldn't add new stuff without it knowing it protected everything on both, both directions. So bravo to that statement. Like, you painted exactly the picture, which is security reviews <laughs> by your state. I mean, I, it was by my stage, it was terrible. I don't even know what it's at, at your stage. It's, it's, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, we have, you know, we have a great security team. They're incredibly thorough, oh, yeah. but it's just one of those things that it's a gatekeeper. Yeah. <laughs> it's a highly specialized skill. Uh, they're in high demand. And so just do it once when you can. Do not, do not try to have them review the same thing over again. Uh, yeah, I think to your point, the ownership models, hey, you want to do this? You, you own driving that review. That's quickly peters out a whole bunch of ideas or things you want to do. Like, wait, is it really worth it? Oh, yeah, that's how I do it. Right. Um, and yeah, so it just it just uh, it definitely helps, uh, again, reinforce best practices, uh, you know, having centralized, uh, you know, knowledge and expertise so that, uh, you know, no one has to worry about that. Right. Security is not a always a either or, you know, it can be an and you just have to have everyone have that mindset um, and do the right investments. Like we, we did a lot of investments in technology to make security easier. Uh, traditionally, it's just hiring a bunch of security people. They just review and review and review. But, you know, we have a bunch of investments in scanners and automation uh, so that we do a lot of the, the, the grunt work that a reviewer usually goes through uh, in an automated way. So now they're coming in, they're really doing that, you know, the magic sauce of a, 
you know, a black hat, you know, security engineer that's trying to find mm. all the things that are broken with you, but they're not finding like, you know, P0 issues of like, hey, you didn't check your access permissions on this API call, you know, type of problem. Mark, it sounds like you could actually write a book on best practices for Salesforce. <laughs> um, you know, you, you mentioned Center of Excellence, you talked about reuse. So, but what other, or maybe even the Center of Excellence, if you want to dive into what best practices, you know, are top of mind for you as you look across your couple of years, two and a half, three years uh, in, in deploying uh, Salesforce across such a, a vast footprint? I would not say I'm an expert at Salesforce. I, I just, I've learned a lot through osmosis. My team is, are the people that are the experts. I'm just the guy that hires them. That's it. Um, but uh, uh, I think for me, the biggest, because I, we get asked all the time, like uh, new, sometimes the Amazon customers or AWS customers, hey, we'd love to know how you guys use Salesforce, but we're starting to use it too. And so we're always happy to consult and, and give guidance. Um, but the one thing that I think, uh, the big one I would say, especially at Amazon or large enterprise scale, is that Salesforce is really easy to start. It doesn't take a lot of skill to, uh, to do a lot of important things. That's great. That's one of the very powerful things about Salesforce, you know, more clicks, less code. However, uh, you know, I kind of use an example and, and hopefully no one gets offended by this, but you know, I, I'm back in the day, there's a thing called Visual Basic and uh, whoever's technical knows like, yep, VB, that's a terrible language, but <laughs> you know, it's a very powerful language. You can use Visual Basic very well and design very good software, or you can be really lazy and design crap software, both work but only one really will, will scale. And I think with Salesforce, it's similar as well. Like you can be sloppy, you can you know, make it easy to do certain things and be insecure, um, or it'll work for now, but it won't scale once you have like you know, a thousand users. And so I think for any large enterprise, um, it's one where just be mindful of when you start that journey, don't shortchange it, right? Don't hire like a unqualified admin or consulting company that you haven't really well vetted especially if you know this thing is solving an important problem and it's going to last a while, like really, you know, find great talent um, and, and do it right the first time because, uh, you know, you'll, you'll pay for it in the end when you don't set it up that way. It's very, very difficult to go back and change it all, right? Um, it's just nothing that, it's just something that, uh, something that I've seen where, uh, you know, again, when I joined this team and looked at kind of our history, I'm like, ah, oh, I see how, and again, Salesforce now is much more experienced around all the technology you have. You have flows, you have all these different ways, these very similar to ABS paradigms, uh, but given to sales development, mm -hmm. it's great. So before it was Apex, code everything, right? And so there's, there's a lot of good um, a thought process happening now on sales development that if you learned it, you know, seven years ago, you don't know these things, you're going to build it kind of the more, uh, the wrong way or the inefficient way. And so I think that's probably my my best uh, piece of advice is to uh, do it do it right the first time. It doesn't make it harder, right? Uh, you can still do it right and fast at the same time. You just you know just find the right practitioner uh, to start with it. So one last bit to kind of tie up the Salesforce story is uh, clearly um, you're you're growing the footprint, you're growing the the value. What how do you in, expand the influence? You know that your team and the the learnings that you've gotten and the value that you've achieved. How do you expand that knowledge? across the, the enterprise so that more people both get it, both can take advantage of those, um, that, those reusable components and, and continue to, to drive value. How do you, how do, you do that? Yeah, uh, well, we are trying to do that now. Uh, we haven't done it yet. And I think, uh, you know, back to what Albert was saying about Amazon, we're organized in a very much a startup-like world. Um, you know, we have a notion mm -hmm. kind of an STO, a single threaded owner. So you have teams that are like, this is the box I play in and I'm going to, here's my goal. And I'm going to just focus on that reduce the main dependencies that I can. 
uh, it's got us to where we are, which is fantastic. The, the only downside is that it gets a little bit harder to have anything centralized. How can we, how can we all sing the same tune? We're very, very mindful when we start creating these kind of centralized kind of mechanisms. And so one of the things that naturally has happened is every team uh, you know, has their problem. They can similar up an instance, hire their own people. And so we're not, we don't have a really strong kind of Salesforce community. And, uh, and that's something that we, that we want to do, right? So we're starting to do that is, hey, let's have each mm -hmm. other talk to each other. Let's find out who they are um, and let's share, you know, what we've done. And it's, a lot of it is just taking that ownership of like, hey, uh, and my team in particular, because we manage this many already, for us to support kind of uh, all of Amazon, it's just, you know, a little bit more time and a little bit more headcount, right? But ultimately the mission is the same, which is we want to help everyone if we can. Um, and it's, it's really, you know, it's taking ownership of driving that, that community, right? Who's going to set up the mailing list? Who's going to set up the, uh, you know, uh, the place where we can ask questions, the Q&A, right? Where is the repository of uh, all the software people have built and who are the contacts so they can do? So I think that something simple mm -hmm. like that can go a long way. Uh, again, another, another, special, another special thing that I discovered with, uh, with Salesforce is I learned this journey as well. And I went to Dreamforce uh, earlier this year or last year. Um, is that just a sense of community is natural, like sharing is caring. I think that's a very common phrase that, that Salesforce has. And that culture just makes it that much easier uh, for, us to, for us to do that. But from our side, it really is getting that connection together, getting awareness is step one, right? And then step two is uh, then figuring out the mechanisms of, great, how can we collaborate, right? Can teams help each other? If we all know there's, there's the same thing that six teams need to be built, instead of doing it six times, let's, let's join resources and let's build it once and deploy it kind of uh, across all teams. That's kind of like how we're uh, planning to start doing that um, already. My team's already built a whole bunch of technologies that could support any instance within Amazon. And we're starting to, you know, uh, you know talk to teams and they're super excited uh, to kind of get onboarded. Gentlemen, I want to say, I want to say thank you, Tom. Thank you, Mark, for joining us today on IT Visionaries. Thanks for asking these great questions, Tom. You know, when I hear these stories, it just brings me back to the I mean, obviously, AWS and Salesforce so far ahead from where most, I think, a lot of our listeners are. But for half our listeners, we know that there are VPs in C-suite of tech companies that are growing, you know, between probably 500 employees to, let's say, 10,000. And for them, hearing these stories, these war, these war stories, uh, I think is, is, is exactly what they need to hear right now, which is in a time where... Mark, you kind of hit the nail on the head. I think Amazon's always had that culture of like, hey, you got to do more with less. But I think now everyone's being told the same thing. You know what I mean? Like, I think everyone's being told that message. So I think it was great for you guys sharing your insights and wisdom here. Before you go, one of the things we like to do here at IT Visionaries is a little something we call the lightning round. The lightning round is brought to us by Salesforce Platform. Mark, this is where we ask you short questions outside of the world of work so our audience get to know you better. And I'm going to include Tom and treat you like a guest as well because you guys are both interesting people and we got to learn more about you. You guys both ready? Go for it, man. I hope you ask the right ones. Hey, listen, it's like, <laughs> if you can't answer these questions, you got problems. You'll be fine. Hey, listen, you guys both have really interesting backgrounds, like literally in the background of your videos. Mark, let's start with you. You look like you got some type of figurine collection. What are those things? Oh, boy. So they're not mine. They're my wife, but they're my wife's. Uh, and they're called uh, Bear Bricks. They are a collector's item, uh, kind of like if you're a sneakerhead, you'll know what these things are. It's, it's They're like little plastic bears. They're made in Japan. <laughs> They collab with different types of uh, artists, and uh, you know, here is uh, you know two of you know the the DJs, Daft Punk, right oh, there. That's Daft Punk. Uh, yeah, all the same size. <laughs> yeah, there you go, exactly. And I got like uh, you know uh, for folks who 
no Banksy. This is a Banksy one. So that's like a limited edition yeah. one kind of as well. Uh, so for me, I'm like, what are these things? She was spending hundreds of dollars on these. Uh, I was like, this is, these are toys. This is plastic. Um, but then she showed me StockX, introduced me to the world of StockX and realized that her little collection here is actually, you know, worth, uh, went up in value by a thousand bucks. I'm like, okay, I'm not going to comment on it. This is an asset. So (laughs) that's what that is. People ask all the time. Like, yeah, it's it's, it's my wife's conversation starter. I wish I was cool like her, but, uh, (laughs) Hey, I've never seen or heard of these things, but as as a dad, just a collector, uh, my son is collector of Pokemon cards. Like he showed me what some of these things go for. And I'm like, I, Okay, yeah. I guess. Like, <laughs> mm-hmm. Tom, mm-hmm. you have something interesting in the background. It looks like older movie posters, but I recognize Spaceballs. And I think, but uh, so I, I'm assuming you're a movie buff. Give us an idea. What, what are these posters about? I, I, love, I love old movies. Those are, uh, these are uh, vintage, uh, vintage posters from Spaceballs and Silent Movie, a, little, a lesser known Mel Brooks movie. Love comedies, love old Hollywood. I've got stuff on the walls here autographs, all kinds of things, but kind of a, a curator and a collector for many, many years. And I just, I just love things that are real and things that are, you know, from a moment in time. There you go. Well, listen, it was both, it was fun having you both do a guest spot on IT Visionaries. It was great learning about AWS. It's always great hearing from Salesforce team about what's happening behind the scenes of this technology. And of course, what's happening to all of us right now in the business world. I want to say thank you both for joining us today on IT Visionaries. I think our episode could keep going, but unfortunately, we do have a time cap. Mark, thank you for joining us today. And Tom, thank you for guest hosting. It was great. My pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Thank you. Thank you.